Well, good morning. So good to be together today. I am glad to see you guys. My name's Pete, and I'm one of the pastors here at Antioch. This is Connie. She's painting some sweet stuff over here, and uh, she's been painting for us the last four weeks, actually, as we've gone through this series, um, looking at some of the names that would be given to the Christ child whose birth we're celebrating today. So thankful to have her continue to paint this morning. So uh, about 10 years ago, just a little over 10 years ago, Jen and I, my wife and I, became parents for the first time. And uh, Emma Grace Kelly was born into the world. And many of you who are parents understand that that first kid changes everything about your life, right? That from that point on, things are never the same. I remember at one point coming home from the hospital and sort of wondering when things were going to get back to normal, and you realize there is a new normal now. And it's amazing how this small, little, like, 10-pound person can absolutely dictate the entire rhythm and flow of your life. Like, everything is affected. You're, e- you're eating, you're sleeping, you're working, you're planning, uh, you're traveling especially. How many of you have taken a road trip with a baby before? Like, that's insane. This person that you can carry in one arm has a hundred pounds of luggage that goes along with them. And uh, I remember our first road trip with Emma. We were driving down to uh, the Bay Area. It was just the three of us, and she's a couple months old, and we had never taken a trip before with her. And so Jen especially was really nervous about how well Emma would be able to sleep in the hotel room. And so we packed up our vehicle full of basically everything from Emma's bedroom at home uh, to try to recreate her bedroom in the hotel, right? So we have the crib and the changing table and the sheets and the blankets and the little, uh, what's that called? Mobile, yeah, that thing going. We have her music and trying to like... I mean, it was ridiculous. Our whole car was packed full of stuff for this little tiny person. Now, by the way, that's just first kid kind of stuff, right? By the time you get to the third kid, you get to the hotel, you just like spread out a towel in the corner and call it good. (laughs) But either way, we know that kids, uh, especially a new baby, has the ability to drastically and permanently change your entire life. And this morning, we're here to celebrate the birth of another baby. But there's a big difference with this baby, the baby we celebrate at Christmas. See, this baby wasn't born for us to carry him and all of his stuff. This baby was born to carry us and all of our stuff, and even, as the Bible would say, the weight of the world upon his shoulders. This baby wasn't born for us to teach and instruct and raise and nurture him. He was born to teach and instruct and raise and nurture us. And to shape us as humanity into the people that he's created us to be. And this baby wasn't born into the world needing us. But rather, this is the baby that the world you and I included, desperately needs. That's the baby that we're celebrating this morning. And so for the past month, like I said, our church has been reflecting on this ancient prophecy found in the book of Isaiah chapter 9, where hundreds of years before the time of Christ, God speaks through this human prophet and gives hope 
speaks life, speaks a future over his people who at that time were living under oppression. And he says to them in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 that for us, to us a child is born and to us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now it's interesting when you listen to this verse, you see that the tenses are sort of mixed, right? To us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called. So this is how it works with biblical prophecy. That the original hearers or recipients of this message would understand it in the present tense in their time and place. But there's also this future tense element that speaks to all people of this coming day. This day in the future when God was going to fulfill this promise. And this promise is that there would be a liberating king that God would send into the world. Who would set his people free from their oppression, from their slavery, from their sins. And that ultimately through this freed, new, restored humanity, that there would be this cosmic revolution launched to make all things new, including us sitting here today. And so this morning we're going to reflect on the one title given to Jesus in this verse, that he would be called a mighty God. That the baby born in Bethlehem hundreds of years after this prophecy was given, that one of the ways he would be known, one of the ways that he would reveal himself and show up in the world is as a mighty God. Now, as Christians, we've always understood this idea to mean not that, that a human being would be born and then would grow up and become God, that's not what this is talking about, but we understand that this is a picture of God becoming human and showing up in our world, breaking into human history in the person of Jesus Christ, born as this little baby. This is what Christians call the doctrine or the idea of incarnation, which means in flesh or in, if you speak Spanish, what's carne? Meat, which is a scandalous idea to say that the God of the universe at Christmas becomes a piece of meat, becomes a piece of flesh. It's kind of offensive, isn't it? That God would become human, that the creator would become part of creation. But that's what we understand and that's what we celebrate is happening in this story. So if I were to tell you that there's this ancient prophecy of this great, mighty, rescuing king who would be the one who would set his people free and launch a revolution so that 2,000 years after his birth, one-third of the population of the planet professes him as God and king, as savior and lord, and orders their lives around him. If I told you that kind of king was coming, what would you be looking for? Well, of course, we'd be looking for some sort of splashy, triumphal entry. We'd be looking for lots of wealth and riches and power and music and bling and whatever it is. We wouldn't be looking for a poor teenage couple. He was probably 18. She was probably 13. Pregnant, out of wedlock pushed to the margins of society, 
cruising around on a donkey looking for a place to give birth to no luck and having their baby born in a barn. When you think mighty God, that's not the story you think of. This isn't the mighty God they were expecting. G.K. Chesterton, famous Christian thinker, once said that Christmas is built upon a beautiful, intentional paradox that the birth of the homeless should be celebrated in every home. What an interesting idea. That in every home now we celebrate the arrival of this baby that was born homeless. Christmas, if you think about it, is wrapped in paradox. Born of a virgin. Let's start with that, right? Homeless, celebrated in every home. The mighty God, a baby, the creator of the universe, living amongst creation. And so because of the paradox of Christmas, everyone who should have seen Jesus coming, everyone who you would expect to be the experts on how God was going to bring about this promise to fruition, all the teachers of the law, all the religious rulers and leaders of the day, all the experts in the Torah, in the Old Testament, none of them saw him coming. All the people you would expect to see Jesus coming, they all missed him. And instead, who is it that does get to see Jesus show up in the world? Well, we'll see that it's shepherds who were the poor, the outcasts, the marginalized in society, the people that, like, in that day, nobody ever, no kid ever said, I want to be a shepherd when I grow up, right? That would be, like, one of the worst fates you could imagine for your life. But the shepherds get to see Jesus when he comes. Who else? These foreigners. Not these Hebrew prophets or teachers of the scriptures or these Pharisees or Jewish leaders, but these foreigners, these magi from, from afar. We don't even know where they came from. And they're following this star that leads them to the presence of God on earth in Christ. It's not the religious elite. It's not those in power. It's not those you would think that find Jesus when he shows up. It's all those on the margins, all those on the outside, all those that are easily overlooked are the ones that don't overlook God's arrival in Christ. And so this mighty God that Isaiah prophesied, he comes, he shows up in our world, just not the way anyone was expecting. Instead of coming as this strong, victorious, conquering king, overthrowing governments and assuming positions of power the way that people were expecting, this mighty God comes blessing the poor and eating and drinking with outcasts. He comes welcoming the children. Just listen to this. This is beautiful. This is not a problem. This is how it should be. He comes healing the sick and the, and the blind and the lame. He comes, this mighty king, speaking forgiveness of sin. 
This isn't the mighty God they were expecting. And throughout Jesus' life, people still didn't get it. Even his own people, the Israelites, several times were told in the Gospels, tried to crown Jesus as the king of the Jews. When they recognized that he was God in the flesh, the, the sent Messiah, they tried to put him in office, so to speak, and every single time Jesus rejected it. He wouldn't let them. And he would say things like, my kingdom is not from this world. I'm not going to play by the rules of the power structures and the games that dictate this economy and these nation states and all that kind of stuff. He says, I'm here from somewhere else to do something else. And he paints this beautiful vision of the way life is supposed to be, the way God intended things to be on earth when he created it. And he calls this vision the kingdom of God what it looks like when God is in control. And he paints this picture that's a world of justice and a world of beauty and a world full of truth and goodness and harmonious, joyful, life-giving relationships. And over and over again, Jesus rejects the people's attempt to crown his, him as king and he says, I have come to bring a new kind of kingdom to create a new humanity and to start this cosmic revolution to make everything new. So that's the story that we're here to celebrate this morning. And so a couple quick thoughts in, in response. Firstly, this story invites us to look for the mighty God in the margins of society. If we would want to be among those who see him, in the world. If we don't want to be like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the religious rulers of the day who weren't paying attention, who weren't looking in the right places, who totally missed God's presence in their world, if we don't want to fall into that same track, where would we look in order to, to see Jesus? Where would we find this mighty God? Well, first, we find him in the margins of society. Amongst the poor, the immigrants, the refugees, the outsiders, the overlooked, the forgotten, the bullied, those that the world would say are worthless. Jesus almost always reveals himself in unexpected ways, in unexpected places. And he almost always shows himself amongst those for whom the system just isn't working. The poor, the forgotten, and the marginalized. One of the early church fathers said this, that if you do not find Christ in the beggar at the church door, then neither will you find him in the chalice. The chalice is a reference to the communion cup, which Christians understand to be this very beautiful way that God shows up in our lives and offers us communion or relationship with himself through the bread and through the wine. And John says, if we can't find him in the face of the beggar, we can't expect to find him here. Because here at the table, we're reminded of Jesus entering into the world, not rich and powerful and famous, but poor and forgotten, and literally in a migrant family looking for refuge. 
And so if we want to see the mighty God this year at Christmas or all throughout the year, the first thing this story calls us to is to look for him at the margins of society and know that he's there. And secondly, we look outward and then we look inward. This story invites us to look for the mighty God in the margins of our lives. Because we all have places in our life, in our story past or in our present. Places of brokenness, places of pain, places of failure, places of deep fear and anxiety and insecurity, and places that are, that are difficult for us to look at. And what this story reminds us is that the mighty God wants to show up in those marginalized places within our lives this Christmas. That he wants to reveal himself in his love and in his grace, in his compassion, in his forgiveness, in those places of our lives that are hardest for us to look at. And so if I were to ask you to think through your life and list maybe the top two or three most significant transformative experiences or seasons you've been through, like this is the time, this is the thing that really changed my life and changed who I am and made me a different person than I was before, I would be the first to say those top three formative experiences in my life for the most part, were painful. They were disappointments. They were failures. They were experiences of, of rejection or incredible delay or things didn't go the way I was supposed to go. Like very few of us would say, yeah, best day of my life. I got a new Subaru, right? Now, of course, that's a great day, but when you think over the course of your, your, the one life you have, you got a new car, but those aren't the moments that really change us and make us who we are. The moments that change us are those moments in the margins, right? The pain, the disappointment, the weakness, the failure, the frustration, the hurt, the loss. And so what the story of Jesus from his birth and life and ministry and ultimately his suffering, death, and resurrection paints this picture that if we want to see the mighty God, if we want to be among those who, who don't miss him, but who catch him when he shows up, that we understand that the love of God is disclosed in experiences of loss. The central event of Jesus' life, of the story of the Bible, and of all human history is the tragic loss of this mighty God in that the baby would grow up to be the man Jesus, a leader of his people, a teacher of God's kingdom, a proclaimer of the gospel, but ultimately a sacrifice for the sins of the world. And he dies. That's not what you would expect from a mighty God. Mighty gods aren't supposed to be killed. But this baby, this king, this mighty God dies. And in that tragic loss upon the cross, we see this undeniable, unforgettable display of the love of this mighty God. That this child was truly, as Isaiah said, born unto us. 
This son was given unto us. This savior was born for us. This lamb was slain for the forgiveness of our sins. See, this is the good news of great joy for all people that we celebrate at Christmas. That yes, having a baby will change your life, but this baby changed the world forever. And we get to be part of that story. Will you join me in prayer? Our Father God, we are so grateful that you, in your love and in your faithfulness, have entered into the story of humanity in the person of your son, Jesus. And that in him you lived the life we were supposed to live, died the death we were supposed to die. And in him you rose again and launched this revolution to make all things new, including us. And we are grateful to be part of this unfolding story. And it is a story of victory, but not in the way anyone was expecting. Lord, we thank you for the nature of your kingdom that displays itself in ways that mess with all of our categories and definitions. But instead of power and might and strength as we would expect, you show up vulnerable, intimate, close, relational, and compassionate. And so I pray for my friends here this morning that your spirit would penetrate our hearts with this good news. That that baby that we celebrate today would be nearer to each of us this Christmas. And that we would find ourselves being transformed by that story, seeking you amongst the broken places in the world and within us, and trusting you, the almighty king, to raise the dead in us, to make us new, to change us and to change the world. We love you. We celebrate you. In Jesus' name, amen.